Well, if you've uh, been here for a while, we're in Kings, part two. We're going through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. <clears throat> we're calling it all Kings as we're discussing and going through and talking about uh, the kings of Israel, how God worked through them, how they resisted God, and all of that. Remember with me that last week we were in First Samuel. Uh, by the way, chapter. 16. Uh, if you're using the Pew Bible as I am, it is page 238, uh, second column, chapter 16. That's where we'll be this morning. Uh, if you remember with me last week in chapter 15, uh, Saul disobeyed God, and because Saul disobeyed God, God said, I am stripping the kingdom from you, and I will pass it on to a man. He says specifically, Uh, A man after my own heart, and that this one will be the prince over my people. Now remember with me that the word heart doesn't mean emotion uh, in the same way that we would use the word heart, especially uh, looking down the barrel, literally, at Valentine's Day. It's going to be Valentine's Day this week, guys. Just forewarning. Uh, Be prepared. So anyway, uh, and so heart for God in this sense means uh, will both in desire uh, but also in action. So I am looking for a man who will have the same desires and fulfill those desires that I have. And I'm going to find this person. We find in 16, uh, remember with me, of course, also in 15, that, that Samuel was upset about this. He was not pleased with this decision that cried out to the Lord. Um, uh, all night concerning it. Now, in chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord comes to Samuel and he says, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? So chapter 16 opens up with this, with God asking the question, How long are you going to live in the past? Holy application, Batman, right? How many of us are stuck in the past? How many of us look at the past, and and maybe this happens for you, those those of you who may be a little bit older than myself, and you have this rosy lens, oh man, remember the days when, you know, everybody loved Jesus, and everyone came to church, and there were no problems in America, you know, except for everyone who wasn't white and male, right? (laughs) Remember those days, we have these rosy lenses in the past. We hold them personally, we have these, how many of you uh, have struggled in the past with this? grudges you see the person or you you just hear their name and you think yeah i remember when they i remember when she said this or i remember when he we got this grudge and 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 it it drags us back every single time living in that past or regret how many of you came in this morning with a regret in your heart and you're saying to yourself man i really wish i would never have Man, I wish, wish I, I really, I, I would have done. And every day, that regret burrows itself into your mind. And it's like this moment that happened way back when. And, and you probably don't even remember it as it actually was. You, don't, you, you have this sort of skewed vision of the whole thing. But you live in that moment. That moment has captured you. And you're stuck on it. The past is good as it allows us to learn lessons. Man, I shouldn't do that ever again, and I won't. Or, boy, I remember when we were really successful in this, and, and I made a good decision here. That, that's good when we touch base with the past, but when we live in it, and we don't move forward, 
What's God saying to Samuel here? He says, I'm moving forward. How long are you going to stay stuck in that same situation, with that same regret, with that same grief, with that same I wish I had? It's time to get up and move on because God is a God of movement. What does Jesus say about God in, in John chapter 6 or John chapter 3? He calls God that the spirit is moving and it blows wherever it wills. That God is this spirit and he is moving constantly. And if you're stuck in the past, you're not with God. You're not where God is working. You're not where God is moving. You're not in the adventure. You're stagnated. You're boring. God says, Samuel, get up. Fill that horn of yours with oil. You used it on Saul. We used it up. It didn't work out. It's time for us to fill it up again. Fill up that horn full of oil and go. And I'm going to send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. There in verse verse 1, continuing on. Isn't it interesting, as I was just reading the story and thinking about the story, isn't it interesting that he doesn't give Samuel the name he didn't just say, hey, go anoint. Well, I don't want to spoil it for you because you have no idea who he's going to, I know. None of you have ever heard this story before. Why don't you just say right out, that, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to, he gives this vague command. God, he's always doing this, isn't he? Giving us, the, go to this general area. And then when you show up in that area, I'll give you further instructions. Well, I don't like that. I like to put in my phone the address, and then the, the obnoxious lady in the phone takes me there, right? I know where I'm going, and, and there we are. And, and yet God's like, well, you know, go to this general region, and, you know, there's a house of Jesse. And, and then, of course, a little foreshadowing, some of you, you guys know he's going to show up there, and there's like seven sons. God is like this. And I love Samuel's response. Samuel says, oh, man, well, I can't do that. If Saul hears that I've anointed another king, what's he going to do? He's going to kill me. This guy's nuts. Were you not here last time? And I love this, mainly because it puts Samuel in the same terrible bucket that I'm in. I mean, think of all that Samuel has seen. Think of all that Samuel has seen God do. Think of the miracles that Samuel has seen God do. He has seen God wipe away army upon army, like hordes, vast Philistine hordes, if you remember a few weeks ago. And God takes care of all these people. And what is Saul, or what's Samuel worried about? One guy. The Lord appears to Samuel regularly. And so what this means is that the angel of the Lord, who I would, I would probably argue is, is Jesus, right? He is, the angel of the Lord is frequently showing up. So God is showing up in human form frequently. To say, like Samuel has been chatting with angels. And what is he worried about? One guy. One guy. And I, I, I have to just wonder, man, how... After seeing all of that and experiencing all of that, and Samuel still doubts. How much have you seen God do in your life? How much has he brought you through? And yet we still say, well, yeah, but that's kind of risky, isn't it? 
As though God hasn't seen us through so many trials and tribulations and problems and heartbreaks and dark nights of the soul that, that we couldn't trust him with this one too. But, but Samuel, the great prophet, the high priest, he's just like us. And what I hear God saying is, is I, I hear this in a sarcastic parent voice. Maybe that's because I'm a sarcastic parent. But whatever reason, this is kind of how I hear it. God says, go, Samuel. And Samuel says, but God. Imagine a six-year-old. And God says, fine. Take a heifer with you and tell him you're sacrificing. Like, do I have to do everything for you? Like, you can't come up with a good cover story. I have to think that up, too. Like, the, the, come on. And, and so Samuel is going to take a, he takes a cow and, they, oh, that, that's a good idea, Lord. I wish I had thought of that. I wish I had trusted you this whole time and figured that you had it all under control. And so Samuel does. He, as you know, he, he takes the cow and, and they go to Bethlehem and he makes it uh, to the kind of the gate of the town and Imagine this, if you will. He makes it to the gate of the town, and the elders of the town, they come out. And it says in our text, they come out trembling, like they're shaking. Have you ever been so scared that you're just, like, shaking? Laura, last night, there's a spider above the door. you got to kill it. We did this last night. Move on, move on. Don't say anything else. Right, so you're trembling. The elders come out trembling. They come out trembling. And I love that because it's like Samuel shows up and people start freaking out. Because Samuel shows up to your town. He's not looking for a new vacation spot. He's not wondering how the hot springs are. Somebody is either dead or soon to be dead. And so they come out and they're like shaking. And they say, Samuel, do you come in peace? And he says, yeah. Everybody relax. And you can just say, I, I just hear this audible like, oh, well, I thought you might say resistance is futile and we wouldn't have known what to do with that, right? I mean, there's just this, Samuel shows up and people start freaking out because people start dropping dead and, the, and that's generally not wanted. So he says, yes, I, I come in peace and, and I've come to, to sacrifice uh, to the Lord with you and so you need to con- consecrate yourself and that's fancy theological talk for to, to purify yourself, to make yourself holy again. And so this would have include, included prayers. It would have included maybe periods of some short periods of fasting and other things. But especially it would have included Samuel himself making sacrifices for each family of the town in order that they would be purified so that they could then go to worship God. Just pause there for a second. How great is Sunday morning worship? Like, none of you guys had to sacrifice anything. I didn't say, get on your knees and tell me all your sins. Like, we just, we just, y'all just waltzed in here like it was nothing, carrying your coffees in and whatnot, and just started singing. Because that's the access to God that you have because of the consecration given to you by Jesus Christ your Lord. Isn't that incredible? And so each family has to pass before Saul or Samuel. I'm going to mix those two guys up, man. It's like... Anyway, uh, everyone passing between, before him, and he's going to make a sacrifice for each, 
each and every one of them. And so, obviously, that allows him to see all of the sons of, of Jesse and God to be able to say, well, this is the one or this isn't the one. And, and here's, the, here's the part of the story that, like, y'all have heard this before. If you went to VBS, if you went to Sunday school, if you've ever darkened the door of a church, you have heard about this guy. I know you don't know who yet, but this guy being anointed. And generally, our application to this, I think, is lame. And so... I hope that we can, can, can get a little deeper in this. So as Jesse's sons uh, pass by him, the first one to pass by him is Eliab. Um, and Eliab is a great, strong, sort of manly name. Eliab. God is father. And uh, we're, we're not entirely sure anything special about his uh, physicality, other than he is the oldest. And so Samuel sees him, and for whatever reason, Samuel says, this guy, this guy's got it. I don't even know what it is, but he has it. And we can anoint him today, and today this guy can step up and be king. And so Samuel thinks he's solved the problem, like we, we, we've, we've got it done. Again, this is, this is why we love God so much. Uh, because he tells him generic area, he tells him you know the, the, the general area, the, 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 the general family, and he brings the obvious solution right in front of Samuel's face. Right? This is the obvious solution, and Samuel says, oh, well, here we go. This is easy. You'd think that Samuel has not been dealing with God for a long time, because if at any point in your life you say, oh, that was really easy, <laughs> you're, you're in for a good time. Like, this is... That God is about to mess things up royally for you. And I love, you. of course, this beautiful passage. And, and, and you should underline it in your Bible. You should memorize it. You should write it on your... It's, 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 it's beautiful. It's wonderful. And we should hold ourselves, uh, hold ourselves to it. He says, surely this is the Lord's anointed, the one I'm going to pour oil on, the one that's going to be king. In verse 7, the Lord then says to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or on the height of his stature. Because I have rejected him. Now I want you to notice that stature bit there. The height of his stature. Who had good stature? Yes! Right? Saul. Saul was a head taller than everybody else. Why? Because the big guy is always the one that should be king. Right? I mean, this dude could beat them all up. He's a head taller. Than he, like he's, he's, the, he's the, the, the linebacker guy in the room. And, uh, you know, th- this is who Saul was. And so, so what's Samuel's mind thinking of when he thinks of king? He's thinking of Saul. Right? Here, even still, he's stuck in the past. God's doing something new, guys. He's moving in a different way. He's not looking for somebody who is a head taller. He's looking for somebody who has his desires and will follow through in executing them. And so he says to Samuel, don't look at his stature. Why? You probably have this memorized. Because God doesn't see things the way we see things. He says, I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man uh, looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the what? Heart. Which means what? Oh, that was pathetic. I've said this like 15 times already in like 10 minutes, guys. Come on. What's heart mean? Will, right? 
I am looking for somebody who is going to share my will, my desires, and will execute those in action. That's what I'm looking for. Not a head taller. I'm looking on the heart. And isn't this what uh, Paul wonderfully sees in the Corinthian church, sort of moving into the New Testament, just real quick for a second. In 1 Corinthians, oh, you know what? I gave you those. I forgot I was supposed to be doing this. Sorry, guys. So just so pumped about this story, I just couldn't wait. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, beginning of verse 26 says, For consider your calling, uh, that's page 952 if you're using this, the, hymn, the hymnal. We'll get there. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble of birth. But God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. And I love this line. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even the things that are not. So something that doesn't exist, it doesn't exist at all, it's not. To bring to nothing the things that are. Now think about that for a second, because it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) But that's the power of God. God can take something that doesn't exist at all, and he can use that non-existent thing to make the thing that exists nothing. Like, this is the power of God. It is so counterintuitive. It is so antithesis of our own desires and will that we should be shocked and amazed and always wondering what God might do next. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And is that not the perfect image of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. It's like you get the kingdom of God, restored heavens, restored earth. If your spirit is like my spirit, and it is humble. Blessed are those who are mourning, those who are meek, those who are hungry and thirsty after righteousness, those who are characterized by mercy, not victory, not power, not, not I mean, does this in any way describe like, like Beyonce or George Clooney or Barack Obama or who, I mean, the people that we look up to and we say, these are the people, I want to be like these guys right here. Doesn't look like them at all. It looks like a complete and utter subversion of everything that humans are hungering for. We hunger and thirst like you desire it. I am so hungry right now. I'm parched. I'm about to die like your kid laying on the floor. Take me home. I'm tired of you talking, right? Time to go home and eat. Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Or do we want fame, influence, likes on Facebook? Do we want money? Do we want success? Do we want to climb that next ladder? What is your thirst? Because when God looks for people that he is going to redeem and use, he's looking at the heart. That's a great message. That's a great biblical message that should bring us 
great hope and conviction. Because when we look at the heart of God, we see again and again a hunger for justice. A hunger to see right things done. A hunger for the poor, the widow, the orphan. A hunger to see his people encased and spreading out love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Bearing this kind of fruit. This word I like, uh, I, I was just kept on thinking as I was thinking about David and thinking about good words that characterize him. I thought of the word virtue. And I thought, is there anything that is less visible in American society, American television and music, and the whole, the whole lot of it, than virtue? We hold up virtue. Men and women who are so committed to doing the right thing that they cannot be bought. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about the right thing to your friend or the right thing to your enemy, because virtue calls for the right thing Always do we have men and women in the world who are full of virtue? No, but the the, the problem is not the world, it's us. Do we have men and women of faith that are driven by virtue? That you cannot buy me, I will not be bought. You can't afford me. Is that the kind of people we are? Because that's the kind of people God is looking for. That's the kind of people he wants to take in his hands and mold and shape just as a potter molds and shapes the clay. And that, that is the message. That is the message of this text. Eliab passes before Samuel and God says, no. Okay, you know, the oldest, you know, God does wacky things sometimes. Maybe it's the next guy, Aminadab. Aminadab comes, and that means uh, uh, our fathers were generous. It's sort of a way of honoring. It's sort of like the, 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 like the, the John, the Jim, the Mark of the ancient world. You just kind of have those. Na- I mean, I didn't, no insult. I didn't name you. and Not your fault. It's okay. You know, but uh, it's sort of just a generic name. We see, that, we, see that, we see that very often. He says, no, that's not. And then Shema shows up. Oh, poor Shema. Uh, Shema is a, is, a, is a verb, actually. It gets used throughout the Hebrew Bible, and it means something like a horror and so it's sort of like, you know, the baby comes out and you're looking for, like, oh, that, that's a nice onesie. Like, I wouldn't have thought of putting that on a, on a onesie, right? No? Ugly baby jokes don't? Okay. All right. Whatever. I thought it was funny. So he comes past, and, and you know, I don't know, I don't know if names have any correlation to actual physical appearance, but either way, uh, I thought, as soon as I saw that, saw that name, I thought, Samuel looks at this guy and says, oh, he'll scare our enemies good, you know, like, and then, and then all of the other sons come through, right? They come through, and God says, no, 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 and they're gone, it's done, and, and Samuel's like, well, what? What's next? And so he, of course, as you know, says to, to, to Jesse, David's father, um, you know, do you have another? Do you have another son? He says, Yeah, I've got, I've got one. He's out tending the sheep, right? Because that's what you do as the youngest kid, right? You're out there tending the sheep while all the important adults. He doesn't even, he doesn't even have a spot at the kids' table. That's how little this guy is. He's out in the fields. Like we don't need him for this. Like you don't even, you don't even have a spot here. And so they get him and they bring him. And this is why I have a kind of a small beef with our, like God uses the ordinary people kind of talk. Um, Because David is called three things in our text. He's called, well, four things. He's called small. And I've heard preachers say this means insignificant. No, not true. It's just the word for small. Like, don't make it something it's not. 
Then he's called three things. First, he's called ruddy. So this refers directly to the side of the skin that you would tan, which means what? Dude's bronzed, right? He's been out in the fields because they didn't give him a spot at the table. He didn't have a kid's table spot, so he's out in the fields. And so he's, he's a tan. And then literally, we cannot be more literal in our translation of Hebrew to English. He has beautiful eyes, and he's good to look at. So I don't know what you want to call David, but one day this kid's going to be prom king. Like, this is, this is future David. And I don't know what you see when you look in the mirror, but when I look in the mirror, I don't see prom king. No one's ever said, oh, I could get lost in your eyes. You know, like, no one's ever said, Laura's never even said that. She's probably with me for longer than anyone. And so I think we sometimes force the Bible to say things it doesn't really say. This isn't about God using ordinary people, although, yes, it's true. Of course, God uses ordinary people. You couldn't get more ordinary than me, right? But, but, and I pray and we live our lives as though God is going to, to use us and we do what we can. Of course, that is true, but that's not what's happening here. What is happening here is that God is taking a young man who he can look at and say, this kid's got a will that I can use. Jesus says something kind of like this, doesn't he? Doesn't Jesus say, y'all ought to have faith like a child, right? Faith like a child. Because the faith of a child has a sense of moldability. I can have conversations with Emery, and she's like, well, why is it like, she's still asking questions. She says, well, why is it like this, and why is the world like that? And sometimes I have to say, I have no idea, and sometimes I have an answer. But she's constantly looking, exploring. And one of the things that we, we think that we have to do as we get older is get harder. That's not true. We should be constantly asking, constantly exploring, constantly seeking in the scriptures to see if our assumptions about it are true. We should be constantly wondering, constantly seeking, constantly asking, God, I know you did this this, this, this way then, but we're here now, and what do you want to do now? What's next? What do you have that's next? Because it's not like God was full of adventure and life in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and in the early church. And then all of a sudden he's like, well, okay, we're done now. Bible's over. He still has grand, enormous, incredible adventures for each and every person who will have that childlike faith that will. Because if you know that, and this is the great thing about this story is this story sets us up to look through the rest of the story And what is God going to do? What is God going to do with David for the rest of this story? What's he going to do? He's going to face giants. He's going to face armies. David is going to go and he's going to work. He's going to serve faithfully. King Saul and Saul is going to betray him. He's going to be driven from his home. He's going to be driven before his own people. He is going to be driven from his family. At some points, his own wife and his own children. He is going to be alone. He is going to be hungry. He is going to be depressed. He is going to be surrounded on all sides by enemies stronger, mightier, and more numerous than him. He is going to be alone in the wilderness, sleeping in caves, all the while wearing the mantle king of Israel. Why? Because God 
is preparing him for greatness. And if you are going to be prepared for greatness, the path will not be easy. And what's incredible about the whole story of David is that at any point, and this is how we can see that his heart is directed towards God, at any point David can say, you know what, forget it, I'm done. And we'll see again and again, every trial that comes up, David will push through. He'll have questions. He'll have doubts. He'll cry out to God and say, why God? Are you letting this happen to me? Read the Psalms, right? They're the aching heart of a man who is living his life with glory in the future, but trial in the moment. And man, is that like us? You are made for glory. You are the one for whom Jesus suffered and died so that you might be called a child of God, so that you might become the humble in spirit that inherit the kingdom of God, the merciful who receive mercy, the meek who inherit the earth, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness who receive that filling. Isn't it so interesting that those be attitudes, we call them be attitudes, like you should do these things too, cap end with two points. The first one is those who share the humility of God, the poor in spirit, they receive the kingdom of God, and those who say, I will not be bought, and are persecuted for that unto death, both of them receive what? Glory. The kingdom of God. And if we would be people who are useful and set and of good works so that God could use us. If we're going to be those kinds of people, then we need to set our eyes on glory and scorn every single temptation and trial that we might receive the prize. Men and women, Christians of virtue. As we come to a conclusion, we want to invite you to stand. If you have any needs, any prayer, maybe you're facing a trial, we'll have the elders down front and they will pray with you. They'll pray over you. They will struggle with you as we together strive after virtue that we might have hearts that are directed towards God. Let's stand and sing.